Once again, we just want to welcome everyone here. My name is Joe Crummy. I'm one of the elders here of Christ Central. I'm going to be speaking this morning. And so once again, we just want to welcome you. I know I haven't had the opportunity to meet everyone uh, here. So once again, welcome and pleased that you're here. And uh, I was away last weekend, so I just wanted to bring a quick update as uh, Kevin, Gary, and I were in Ontario. And so we met with our family of churches through, throughout Canada, and we had uh, other churches represented within our sort of family of churches from England and all the way to Peru and from the United States. And so it was great to be able to be together, to worship God together, to seek God together, and to share and help one another. And so that's very encouraging. And as Adam already mentioned, we have our friends Dave and Rosie Fellingham, who were very vital in getting our church established uh, here with us this week. They're out with Reese and Sarah in Vancouver as we speak, and uh, we're looking forward to uh, having them with us. So once again, everyone's welcome. Please come and join us this coming Saturday for the morning. Dave will be speaking next Sunday morning, and so we're looking forward to them being with us. We also just want to bring greeting from uh, an update from Prince Edward Island, and so for our church plant in Charlottetown. So those of you on our church email list, you would have received an update this week, and there's some handouts up at the welcome table. And so they begin next Sunday renting at their first venue uh, in Stratford, and so we're excited about that. And they've had some families join them, and things are getting into a good foundation, so that's very encouraging. And so Jesus is alive, and he's building his church. Hallelujah, which is fabulous, and we're pleased with that. All right, last uh, week, uh, Brent... Excellent message, and encourage if you weren't here to listen to it online from our website as we've been going through this book of Hebrews. Uh, really a fabulous book, but some tough sort of struggle in trying to understand some of the things the author's saying and following his uh, reasoning and talking about Jesus. And we've been building this sort of case with uh, the author of Jesus being superior than everything. And so we started out with Jesus being superior than the angels. So the angels are important, but Jesus is even superior. Jesus is more superior than Moses. So Moses, huge part, Old Testament and in history. And Jesus is even superior than Moses. And now as we come into chapter 4 and into chapter 5, we begin sort of another transition of Jesus being superior. This time, the author is going to say that Jesus is now superior in the whole Old Covenant priesthood that was set up with Moses. And we're going to explain that a little bit more because we don't understand it so much in our day and in our culture. And really, this theme goes right from chapter 4 all the way to chapter 10. So we're only going to take one part of it here today and uh, to understand. Now, here's the thing. We can be tempted, or we can be, even me just saying what I just said, some of you are tempted just to zone out, okay? You're like, man, that has something to do with it. I don't understand, Okay. <laughs> Keep with me, because if you've ever been in a situation where you've had a time of temptation or a time of testing, and you've been in a place where all you can do is say this, God, if you're really there, I call out to you and I ask you to help me. If you've ever been in this place, then today's message is exactly all about that. And we have to understand the context because I want you to understand and know who you're praying to. So it might be a desperation prayer. And the author wants you to know, and I want you to know this morning, your desperation prayer isn't just going to the air or to the heavens or to a whole bunch of little G-gods and you hope one of them hears it. There's an actual real God who hears you and not only hears you, but has power to help you. And that's the context that we want to speak into this morning. So if you have your Bibles with you, 
You can turn to the book of Hebrews in the New Testament. And if you don't, I'm going to put it up here and we're going to read it together, okay? So here's our passage. And we're going to begin at verse 14. And we'll pick up where Brent left off last week when he talked about the Word of God being living and active and how it searches our hearts and reveals everything. That connects to Jesus being our high priest and he sees everything as well. So the author says that since then... We have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Chapter 5. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward, since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So Aaron was like the first priest. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son, today I have become your father. As he also says in another place, You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. We'll come back to explain some of these things. Here's an incredible couple of verses. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. So let's take a look at, first of all, Jesus being this perfect priest. And again, verse 2, it says, For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. Okay, in our system, and today, in our world, okay, we don't have the same sort of sacrificial system and priesthood that we observe back when we read the Old Testament. And so today, if we were to say the word priest, um, I think many of us would maybe relate to a Catholic church background where we see that there's priests in the Catholic church. That might be the only time we use the word priest, and it might be another term for a word pastor or minister would be the word priest. But we have to understand the Old Testament context for what the author is trying to say about Jesus and how he fits into that whole thing of being a high priest. So if we just quickly do a quick review, Old Testament, we had God's people. And if you remember, there's 12 tribes of Israel. And as Moses led the people uh, into the promised land and out of slavery in Egypt, God set up a system for his people to come before and to relate to God. And out of those 12 tribes, he picked one tribe. And you can read about this in Exodus. He picked the tribe of Levi. And from Levi, we get what are called the Levites, which is the priests. And in the Old Testament, that tribe was the ones that served God. And they were a go-between, okay, between the people of God and God. So that's what a priest did. They're appointed to be like a go-between. They're like a mediator between the people and God. And out of this priesthood, Okay, so they offered sacrifices and they did all these different things. Out of that priesthood, out of that tribe of Levi and Levites, God appointed one guy out of that tribe 
to be the high priest. And this is really important because the high priest was the only one on one day out of the whole year on the Day of Atonement, the high priest went into either the tabernacle or later on the physical temple. And that high priest went in once a year to make sacrifice for the sins of the people so that forgiveness would be granted to the nation. And there were rules and guidelines on what the priest, this high priest was supposed to do. God set the whole thing up. And you can read about it in Leviticus 16. Okay, because I know you all read Leviticus all the time. So it's very familiar to you, I can tell. And if you've never heard of Leviticus, okay, Old Testament, and you get to pick up a whole thing of how God set up a system of priests and this high priest on the Day of Atonement to kill two goats, or sorry, take two goats, kill one of them. That was the sacrifice, the blood that was shed as an offering for sin. There's a penalty of sin, had to be paid. And the second goat, he laid the hands on the goat and he confessed all the sins of the nation and he sent the goat into the desert and that goat was the scapegoat. That's the context for Old Testament. And the high priest, there were guidelines set up by God for how the high priest was chosen. Okay, and very quickly. Okay, the high priest was chosen from among the people. So he came from the tribe of Levi in the whole tribe and the tribes of Israel. Okay? Second thing is, I'll just go through these briefly, and I'm sorry I don't have time to give you all the references, but if you read Exodus, Leviticus, okay? I've already said the role of the high priest is to represent people of matters related to God, especially through offering gifts and sacrifices. Three, the high priest's weakness enables him to deal gently with people and offer sacrifices for himself first, then the people. And the fourth thing is God is the one who gives the office of high priest by appointment. So you can't promote yourself. God chooses. And those were the things for the high priest. And those are all outlined. So you have to understand the author's building an argument here saying the high priest and that whole Levitical system and the whole priesthood and the whole sacrificial system was called among the people to serve as a go-between, to bring gifts and sacrifices to represent the people. Okay, had to be called by God. And because the priest, high priest was human and he himself sinned, he could have sympathy and relate to others and the people of God because he himself sinned and he had to give a sacrifice. He could be sympathetic with the people. Okay, that's the background for now the things that the author is going to speak into in the writer of Hebrews. So you have to understand the background to understand where the author's going. So stick with me, okay? Because we're building something here, but you've got to understand the background to appreciate the application. Okay? Now what the author's doing, remember if we're kind of like in a court of law, the author's building a case here and what he's doing, and we're kind of going through chapter 5, verses 1 to 10 first, and then we'll come back to the application for, for chapter 4, 14 to 16. Okay? So the author says this. Those are the guidelines for the high priest. Now, the author is going to make an argument saying that Jesus is now superior and replaces that high priest. And what does he do? He builds on the Old Testament again. And we've seen it all the way through all four chapters, haven't we? The author goes back, and what does he do? He goes back to the Psalms again. And do you remember this one? Okay, I'm going back to your memories if you were with us. Okay, when we first started Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 5, this same Psalm gets quoted, and now it gets quoted again. 
Okay, so he quotes Psalm 2, 7. Okay, when he says that, you are my son, today I've become your father. So we've already went through that one, explaining that Jesus is unique son of God. He's both exalted, high up, but he was also incarnate. He was made in the flesh. And so proving the whole thing that Jesus is fully God, fully human. And then he adds another one to connect it with it. So they both begin with you are, and then you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And Melchizedek, he was a king and a priest, which didn't happen in the Old Testament. And join us in a few weeks' time, because chapter 7 is all about that. So we're going to come back to that, and that's all I'm going to say on that one. So there's a cliffhanger. You've got to come back in a few weeks' time when we deal with that one, and we'll figure out who Mel is in the order of everything. So what the author's doing, he's reiterating again, Jesus is the Son of God, therefore he is unique. And now he's joining Jesus, Son of God, and we went through all that in chapter 1 and chapter 2, trying to pound that home. Jesus is the Son of God, unique, fully God, fully human. He's connecting the Son of God with now Jesus being the perfect high priest. And he's connecting the two because that's going to be really important because if you know anything about Christianity today, we do not take two goats once a year and kill one up here and put our hands on one and send it off into the poor winter, okay? We don't do that anymore. And we have to ask the question, why don't we do that anymore if it's in the Old Testament? Because the author is building a case saying, something's changed. And what the author is trying to do here is the high priest in the Old Testament was kind of a contradiction because on one hand, the high priest was different from everybody else. The high priest was distinct. He was appointed by God, and only he could go into the Holy of Holies once a year on the Day of Atonement. No one else could. Okay? So you couldn't like, hey, the bullpen's warming up. We're not sure if the high priest is going to make it today, but we've got some extra priests who are warming up in the bullpen, and they're going to be able to take his spot. Didn't happen. Only the high priest could go in. So he was distinct from the people. Yet, the high priest identified with the people. Because the high priest was human, and the high priest knew what it was like to be tempted by sin. So much so, in fact, that the high priest would give in to sin, and God made a way for the high priest to offer sacrifices for himself first to get right with God before he could represent the people. And the author saying this by quoting Old Testament Scripture, building the case, Jesus is absolutely distinct from everyone else. And he is the Son of God that the Father has endorsed and said, this is my Son, and he's unique, and he's distinct from the people. Yet, Jesus, born of a virgin, born from among humanity, is also being able to identify with the people. Do you see that great combination of Jesus being the high priest? He was distinct, unique, son of God, only son of God. There's no one else like him. Yet, he is, as we saw already, our elder brother. He is human, fully human, and able to identify with the people of God. And that's what makes him ideal to be the perfect high priest. Those two things. And now we see that because Jesus was obedient, Jesus now has become, not only does he bring a gift and sacrifice as a high priest, Jesus is the gift 
and the sacrifice. Therefore, he fulfills, and in a way, he abolishes okay, the Old Testament Day of Atonement only once a year, only the high priest. Jesus being the perfect high priest, he didn't come to God and bring some other gift and sacrifice. He gave himself as the perfect once and for all sacrifice and forever changed how we relate to God. Okay? And we're going to build into what are the benefits of that good news. <laughs> what are the benefits of Jesus being our high priest? Because we can think Jesus is our high priest. We sing it in songs sometimes. We're like, I don't really have a clue. I believe it, but I don't really know what that means. <laughs> I'm trying to help you understand what that means. Is Jesus is the one who represents us between God and humanity. And Jesus himself became the sacrifice that he died on the cross, that his life, he became the goat that was slain to pay the penalty for our sins. He also became the scapegoat that all our guilt and shame and everything was put upon him and taken away. That's good news for us. And now, we don't go through a sacrificial system to get right with God. We don't kill animals anymore. Okay, we don't have to go through a priesthood. In the New Testament, we begin to understand that we are, as Christians, all the priesthood of believers. That we don't need to go through a system of priests to pray to God. We now have access to God, every follower of Jesus. This is a radical transformation from Old Covenant to New Covenant, from Old Testament to New Testament. And I want you to understand the good of what Jesus has accomplished so that you can live in the good of it. It's one thing to know it. It's another thing to appropriate those truths and that they actually affect every single day of your life. And that's what we want to move into. If Jesus is the great high priest, that he is distinct yet identified with humans, that he is the sacrifice, that he has made a way. The author saying, as you come to Jesus, not only does he provide you salvation, because he's the sacrifice, the author saying this, and this is the whole, again, theme of Hebrews, he provides you perseverance to deal with everyday life. Okay? And that's what we want to move into. The author saying, okay, because Jesus is our great high priest, because of everything that Jesus has done, then what does he say the results of that are? He says, one, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. The author's building in the assurance that Jesus as our great high priest is our source of salvation and is our means of preserving in and persevering in this world. Because we see this, Jesus was tempted. Okay, and that word tempted can also mean this, Jesus was tested. And Jesus was tempted... What's temptation? It's to pull away from God. It's to bring one down. Testing is this. You can look at it this way. It's a means and a way to build one up. So because God is sovereign, you can be tempted by the devil to pull away from God, and God can use that to build you up by you persevering and choosing God. Okay, do you see both of those at work at the same time? And Jesus was tempted, and he was Test it. And if you want to take a look, here's one example of Matthew 4. You can see that Jesus was tempted by the devil. Okay? And remember the things that Jesus was attacked about? He was tempted 
about his identity. So Satan went after his identity. Satan went after who you're going to worship. Okay? Do you remember? Jesus brought before and the devil showed him everything and said, I'll give you all this if you will just worship me. Okay? Jesus was tested and he was tempted on all of those things. Now you think about how much your identity gets tested and tempted. Okay? You've got every product out there saying that if you will only buy me, this will help your identity. And that's the world we live in, a very consumer-driven world. If you buy me and my product, I'll make you a better person. And you won't be satisfied until you buy what I have. And that's the world we live in. Our identity gets tested. Our purpose gets tested. What's the purpose of our world? Is it to serve me or is it to follow God? Our worship, who are we going to worship? Who are we going to be devoted to? We see this as the other testing of Jesus, okay? And you can read about that in Matthew 4, and it says this, when Jesus, okay, those are the only ones that record it. We see that the devil for 40 days was tempting Jesus. Now, folks, here's the thing. Jesus is also tested and tempted in the garden, okay? And I just want to read out this, ver- this passage, okay? So this is from Mark. This is before Jesus had to go to the cross. Let me just read this out to you. Again, we're building something that's going to apply to every single one of our lives. We read this recorded in Mark. It says, They went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. And he took Peter and James and John along with him, and and he began to be deeply distressed, and troubled. Okay, so let me just say that again. Jesus began to be deeply distressed and troubled. Okay? When I was growing up, I had this little felt picture of Jesus, okay, and the cross glowed in the dark. Okay? And it was this whole passage from here, and it was Jesus, and I don't know how to explain it, okay? But it was a picture of Jesus kind of bowed down with his hands together, and there was this glow about him, and it was like him praying in the garden. Okay? That's not what I read here about Jesus being deeply distressed and troubled. And he says this, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. He said to them, Stay here and keep watch. And going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Could you not keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. And once more he went away and prayed the same thing. And when he came back, he found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. No kidding. And returning the third time, he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Enough! The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. So we catch a glimpse 
in Hebrews, when the author says, okay, with loud cries and with tears, Jesus offered prayers and supplication to the one who could save him. Okay, when we read that passage from Mark and it's recorded in the other Gospels, okay, we get a window into Jesus being tempted and tested. And the thing that goes along with that is that Jesus was tempted to give up. Jesus was tempted to take a shortcut and not to follow the Father's will. Jesus was tempted okay, to look out for himself and not fulfill what God wanted. And here's the thing. You know what? When I was growing up, I heard this phrase all the time. And most of the time, it was used more in a swear way. Okay? I don't think it was meant in a good way. But the more I thought about it, the more there's truth to the saying. Okay? When I was growing up, it was a, just one of those things, I think, in a small town that people just said. Okay? But here's, here's the phrase. It was this. God only knows what I'm going through. I don't know if any of you ever heard that phrase. Okay? Like I said, it was more in a swearing way, because how you, your attitude and your tone can, it's what you say and how you say it are two big things. And I hear people say all the time, God only knows. Now here's the truth. They're absolutely correct. God only knows. So we can redeem that phrase. So in pastoral situations, many times, people are sharing their heart with me. And the reality is this. I've never been through that experience. I haven't been through that. And I can't say to the person, I know exactly what you're going through. I can't say it. But I can say with confidence, God knows what you're going through. Now, folks, 2,000 years ago, and people say this to me all the time, okay? It's like, well, Jesus didn't have guns back there. He didn't have internet back there. How can you say that Jesus can sympathize with my weakness because Jesus went through everything I went through? He couldn't have gone through the things I'm going through today. And on one hand, we understand what the person's saying, and we can understand and say, okay. But here's the thing. The root issues of sin, of selfishness, of lust, of greed, and pride, and jealousy, all of those things were the same back then. They are today. We just have different ways to manifest those inner things. So were we saying that Jesus okay, suffered with being tempted to look at things on the internet when the internet didn't exist 2,000 years ago? Okay, let's not write off that. Let's understand that Jesus was tempted with lust. Jesus was tempted with self-preservation. Jesus was tempted with all the same things, the root things that we're tempted with. Yet the Bible says, as he was tempted and as he was tested, he did not sin. And again, that makes him unique as the only one on planet Earth who was really tested, really tempted. As we read that, okay, Jesus wasn't just the Superman with the Teflon thing and nothing ever got to him with loud cries, with groans, with tears, with prayers, with being able to say, my soul is deeply anguished. And the Bible prophesies about Jesus in Isaiah 53 that he would be a man of sorrows and familiar 
with suffering. This same Jesus who experienced all these things, the Bible says is this, he's sympathetic to our testing and our temptations. Now here's the great thing, okay? When I looked up the word sympathetic, there's a great phrase that comes with it. And it takes it from, you know what? I hear a lot of things. Okay, we can watch that compassion video and I can feel sympathetic. But sympathetic doesn't always lead to action. And if you're really sympathetic, then what the Bible's talking about, there is a compassion, and it's interesting that it's Compassion Sunday. <laughs> There's a compassion there to actually do something to help. So when the Bible says that Jesus is sympathetic to us. It doesn't mean that Jesus is like, oh, you know what, guys? I've been there, done that, you know, and I'll see you in heaven. You know, that's not the sympathy Jesus comes with. There's a compassion there, and the compassion spills into actually doing something to help us. That's good news for us. And again, we're building towards something, and the author's saying, in the midst of persecution, look to Jesus. Okay, He sacrificed his life. He didn't say, Lord, would you just do it my way? He said, not my way, but your way. He was obedient to the cross. He laid down his life. Perfect sacrifice. He made a way for us to be saved. And because of Jesus and his example, we can hold on no matter what temptation we are facing. Now, I'm going to use another one of my sports analogies. And for those of you who aren't into sports, I'm going to try to explain it to you, okay? What the author is saying is this. He's challenging us to take a look at Jesus' life. And he's saying, you look at Jesus like he was fully committed to his Father. That's what he's getting at. And because Jesus is our example, we can be fully fully committed to God as well. And he says, hold on to our confession. And our confession isn't just a once, oh, I did that 20 years ago. It's every single day a lifestyle of putting God first now here's the good news if you've ever been involved in a sports team usually you have a coach somewhere along the way and coaches can sometimes make the team or break the team and a lot of the times some of the best coaches are this are former players especially if they're a former captain and a lot of times you'll hear the phrase this coach is really good he's a player's coach and what are they saying they're saying this This coach has been on the field or on the ice and has led a team and has been there and has gone through playing hurt and has gone through all the different trials and tribulation and has gone through training camp and has done all these things. And the players know that the coach who's giving them the instructions can sympathize with what they're going through because the coach has been there before and has gone through it. And there's a level of respect and a level of I understand, and I'll give my life for this coach because I know this coach understands what I'm going through. And if you can get that feel, that's the same thing of the author saying, Jesus, as we saw before, is our elder brother. He's our older brother. He's gone through everything first. He's gone through death. Therefore, we don't have to be afraid of death because he's come out the other side. Jesus has been tempted in every way. He's our elder brother. He's like our coach who's been a player and has been a captain and has gone through it all, and he's the one giving us instructions, and therefore we know that we can trust him because he's been through it and obeyed the Father, and we can go on obeying the Father as well. Hallelujah. 
So God doesn't call you to follow him and then just leave you on your own. We've got a great coach in heaven. Jesus at the right hand of the Father is now, the Bible says, interceding for us. He's drawing people by his Holy Spirit to salvation. And as they become born again a new creation, he empowers them with his Holy Spirit. He gives the living and active word. And he does this as well. Jesus has provided access to God. So the author can say, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Jesus has provided this. He's given us confidence to approach God. Now folks, can you just remember again, Old Testament, Old Covenant. Okay, First of all, we had a tent of meeting. Then we had a tabernacle that went around. And then Solomon built the temple. And that's where God's presence was. And that's where God reside it and you could not get to god unless sacrifice was made for sin and only who could do that again one guy named the high priest who could do it how many times a year once a year and when he did that and he offered sacrifices for himself and then he offered sacrifices for the people he had to go in and there's a veil and the holy holies and only he could go in once a year and when he came out he sprinkled the blood it was on the mercy seat and on the people and for one year till the next you are Forgiven. So the people were forgiven, but the question is this, did they get any closer to God? They still couldn't be in the presence of God. There was still a veil. There was still a holy of holies that only the high priest could have access to one day a year. And if there's anything out of this message, it's this. Because of Jesus Christ being our great high priest, He's given us access to God. The language that the author uses is radical, radical, radical. He says you can come with boldness before the presence of God. Which you could never do under the old covenant. Because why do we have boldness and confidence? Because one is, because of Jesus, we know that we have been forgiven. Therefore, we can enter Okay, the psalmist said, who can approach the hill of the Lord? Okay, only someone with clean hands and a clean heart. Old Testament. New Testament's this. It's not a high priest. It's not a pastor. It's not the holy man. It's Robert and Patty, born again, new creations in Christ. And because of Jesus, they have access to God. They don't have to go through priests. They don't have to go through sacrifices. They come through Jesus, and they can approach the throne of grace with confidence because they are forgiven and they have access to the presence of God. We can come here this morning together as the people of God and we can worship God, not because of anything we've done, but because Jesus has made a way and we have confidence in that. If you don't have confidence this morning in yourself getting right with God, good! You should have no confidence in you getting right with God or me getting right with God. Our confidence lies in Jesus, our great high priest. Because he has been the sacrifice. He's risen from the dead. He's gone through, it says, he's passed through the heavens. And he's at the right hand of the Father right now, praying for us. And he invites us into the presence of God. Because here's, again, that we can draw near to God in a continuous, ongoing way. Up here, It should read, let us then with confidence 
go on drawing near to the throne of grace. It's not even just for in your most desperate times. It can be in your good times. It can be in your mundane times. It should be all the time we come before the presence of God, before this throne of grace. And we have this. Not only do we come before God's presence, which is incredible, and we're changed in God's presence. Jesus says this. If you persevere and you hold on to the confession of your faith, you hold on to me and what you've learned, that I'm the way, the truth, and the life, that I'm the perfect sacrifice, I'm the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, I'm the resurrected one, I'm the one who gives life, I'm the one who makes you right before God, I'm the one who sends the Holy Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come, I'm the one who goes on supplying for all your needs. If you hold on to these things, and you understand and appropriate what I've done for you, and that you can hold on to your faith, and you can hold on, and you can come before God, and you can draw near to God, and you can be in the presence of God, and as you do that, and as you pray and cry out to me, then the one who has authority to give is going to send help your way. So if you've sinned and you need to be forgiven, you can approach the throne of grace and you can receive mercy. You can repent and turn from your sins and you can say, God, I'm sorry I did that. I confess that was wrong and I turn from it. I ask for your forgiveness. I ask for a clean conscience and I thank you, Jesus, that you make that. You can receive mercy in your time of need. And you can receive grace. You can receive strength and power in your time of need. So remember what I started out with saying, if you're in a desperate spot and sometimes we just send up the Hail Marys, okay? God, if you're up there, okay, I, you know, just forget everything and just everything I've done, but this one time and this one time alone, if you've ever heard me before, now's the time. Lord, please send me help. Okay? Now in our desperate ways, God's merciful. But instead of just sending up a Hail Mary, wouldn't it be greater to know, God, I know you're real. I know I'm your child. And I know because of Jesus that your word says that I can approach you with confidence and with boldness. And I know, Lord, I need mercy and I need grace and I need strength in my time of need. And I have great confidence that you are going to come and you are going to provide. And I call upon your great name again that you would come, Lord Jesus, and you would give me what I need Lord, for your glory and for my good and for the betterment of everyone else around me and not my will be done, but your will be done so that we get the results of what Jesus did in being obedient to his Father. And you will receive peace that passes all understanding. You'll receive strength from on high that is supernatural in our weakness. We will receive grace and strength We will receive a way out, as the Bible says when we're tempted, that God will make a way and we can go, there's my door out, I'm going. And we have an example in Jesus in the garden as he called out to his father. And you can say, well, how did God answer that prayer? He died. Well, God answered that prayer in two ways. One, he gave him strength to obey his father's will and to go to the cross. And he gave him strength that when he was on the cross, he could have called down 10,000 angels to wipe out everybody and vindicate himself, but he didn't. He had strength to stay. And sometimes in prayer, our answer isn't so immediate, is it? And the fulfillment of Jesus' prayer in the garden 
was actually in the resurrection. And folks, I'll end with this. We have this tension of the now and the not yet. That as we call out on God, we receive grace and mercy in our time of need. And I believe that's true for our immediate things. But sometimes we might not see the answer to those prayers until somewhere down the road. When in hindsight we can say, I can see how God answered every part of that prayer. But it might take weeks and months and years. And it might take us with a different view in eternity to see that God is faithful, that he hears our prayers, and that he provides timely aid for what we need. This morning, so I'm just going to ask Joel and the team to come. We want to worship God. Okay, We want to let the truth of these words, these words of life sink in. Okay, We want to appropriate these words. Okay, We're going to share in communion together as we remember Jesus, our great high priest, being our sacrifice, being our mediator, but one who lives again to intercede and to help us in our time of need. So if you're able, let's stand.